Hello, everybody. Here I'm there to talk about Anchor. It's one of the best podcast uh, platforms that you can you can uh, go on. You can put all your podcasts on Apple, Google, any place. Any place to put up your podcast, you could all do it in one place. Anchor has all the tools to allow you to record and edit your podcast right from the phone or computer. And you can distribute any of your, your podcasts on any platform like Apple, Spotify, Anchor, you know, Anchor, Stitcher, iHeart, everything. It's everything you need you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. And let me tell you, I have had great experience with Anchor. Download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started today. That is Anchor FM to get started today. Welcome to Cindy and Joe's show. I'm Joe. I'm Cindy. And this is Between the Whistles, Detroit, your hometown team. Yes, and the first show of 2022. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Not so happy for Michigan football, though. Yeah. Yeah, I would say it's definitely not a happy new year for Michigan football. No. First, no. you get your you, your nuts put on a platter on uh, New Year's Eve. What a great way to start the uh, New Year's. Uh, uh, I mean, like, it wasn't even close. Don't you wonder, how wonder how many other people had nuts on platters for New Year's Eve? You know, some people are allergic to nuts. Cashews, walnuts. Cashews nuts. are the best. I'm telling you. you. You don't even need to waste your time with any other nut. Just put the cashew out there. And then I heard cashews aren't actually a nut or something. Um, that's fake news. Whatever. Cashews are nuts, and they're the best one because, like, you just there's nuts. Well, peanuts are good, but not really. And if we had nuts, we'd be throwing them at the TV, watching the Michigan Georgia game. And you know, I was at I was actually down in Florida, as you know, and uh, having a great time, enjoying the sun, and mm-hmm. it was wonderful. And I was in a restaurant actually. You were on a bender. I was not on a. Bender, unless you want to call being at a hibachi. I was at a hibachi restaurant. Get this. I'm at, I'm at a hibachi restaurant watching um, Michigan play Georgia, and I don't even know if you can call it they were playing them. No, they weren't playing them. They got absolutely just destroyed from the get-go. From the start, Michigan never had a chance in that game. I mean, you know, you think to yourself, wow, we actually have a good program. We've got some, you know, we were on a high from State and Michigan and all of these wins, and then – you see what you saw with Michigan against Georgia, and Georgia makes you realize you don't have a program. You got a peewee football team here. That's you know they're just trying to let them you know let them play yeah. just for fun. But um, you know if they were going to win, they were, it was only because Georgia would have let them win. Yeah, you know, it was if, one of those deals. If Georgia was like overthinking them, like over. Oh yeah, like they were so outclassed. I mean, Michigan was just really. It had to be a tremendous wake up call to them um, to like, okay, we thought we were good. Yeah. Well, but it's, not it's, so much. It's, it's one thing to get through like the Big Ten, and you go through the Big Ten. You 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 play. You know, your you call it man ball where you just run the ball on them. You know, pass it when you want to. You know, in SEC it doesn't work that way because against like a team like Georgia where they don't really allow points at all and they don't allow you to run the ball. Yeah, you're not gonna be able to run the ball, so you better have some good playmakers on the outside. They just didn't. They they, look, they literally looked like they were just struggling the whole time. Well, you know, we've always said that that's been Michigan's Achilles heel from day one of the season and, and really from subsequent seasons as well is they don't have a passing game. They have a running game. And as soon as someone figured that out 
and realize that all they had to do was stop their running game, they're going to stop Michigan. And uh, so, but they, like I said, they weren't even, they didn't even get their running game on. And I don't know if it's so much that Georgia stopped and Michigan just didn't have the, the mojo. Well, I can tell you this right now. When Michigan played Georgia, it was total outclass talent. Their defensive line, Georgia, outclass, which they, Michigan was named the best offensive line in the country. I mean, how? If, how? After what you watched on New Year's Eve, right? Where you watched a defensive line absolutely obliterate that offense line. Like I felt bad for Cade McNamara because he didn't get any any um, any protection. The running backs didn't get any lanes to, to run through. It was just it was bad. It was not. That's not how you win football games. Yeah, no, they they were almost defeated right from the start, and it was unfortunate because you know to come so far. Nothing is more deflating than to come so far, do so much, and then, you know, you, you and you fall flat right at the end of it. But I got to call you out, but you said, oh God, boy, no. who remembers this? Joe's always pointing out when I'm wrong, loves oh, to say yeah. I was wrong about Dylan Larkin, I was wrong about this or that, wrong about Jeff Blaschel. It is now my turn, sir. It is my turn to point out that you were wrong about Michigan football. You said, I'm going to tell you right now. Go back and look. I'm gonna tell you right now. You can you can mark my word right now. Right now, I'm telling you, Michigan's going all the way. I think that's what you said, and I'm gonna tell you that didn't happen. So yeah, you were yeah, wrong. You know, selfishly, I was like, I hope I'm right. You know, <laughs> but then like it got like ten minutes in the game, and I'm like, I'm not gonna be right, and this is gonna be brutal because Cindy's gonna finally she's gonna get one on me. And it's going to piss me off to no end. But you know what the biggest thing I, I learned out of that Michigan game? You didn't think I was going to let it go. Oh, no, you no. didn't think that for one minute, no, did no, you? No, no, I, I no. I didn't think that at all. Cool. I, I was like, oh, this is going to come up on the show. <laughs> great. But, like, you know, what I, you, know what I, you know what I learned about the Michigan? Uh, it, it, like, opened my eyes. Because, mm-hmm. like, if you look at it, like, the talent level between Michigan and Georgia is not even close. And if you – I did the research, and you, I, you've probably seen it between the whistles, but – for people that are, you know, just listening to the podcast, like, you got to think about this. In a four-year span, right, Michigan's touted as, like, a recruiting power, right? Well, in their own conference, they didn't even they didn't even come close to the top team with coming up with five-star recruits. Ohio State had 15 to Michigan's four. So let's put that in perspective. Michigan had four in four years. Texas A&M had six this year alone. Yeah, so... so if, 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 when you talk about winning on a national level, like, that's what you're competing with. And then you look at the Georgia. Georgia had 18 five-star recruits in a four-year period. Alabama, 17 four, five-star recruits. You know, yeah, you're going to get probably get these guys, like, that are, you know, not highly regarded that become really, really great players. That, that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. But the reality of the situation is, when you're talking about guys who are like athletic freaks and are surefire NFL players, most of them are five stars. And you do see it when you when you go and you see the national championship. Like usually those teams are up there in the recruiting rankings every year because they always get the talent that they want. And there's a there's a fix to this, and it helps the bowl games. You know, how Kenneth Walker opted out of the Peach Bowl. Yeah. How Kenneth Pickett opted out of the Peach Bowl. There's a fix to this. See, right now you have the four teams in the playoffs, right? You have four teams that get in the playoffs. And it's usually not really well 
it's not really well thought of, right? Mm-hmm. Like this year, you had Cincinnati in the playoffs. They deserved it because they were undefeated. And even though they didn't play anybody, they still held they held close to Alabama as close as they could. I mean, Alabama's a machine, right? But like, if you had eight teams in the playoffs, right? Yeah, those players aren't opting out of the bowl games. It could be a totally different ball game because you don't know how you. Let's let's say like a a Notre Dame plays a, a, a they play uh. They play Oklahoma State in the Fiesta Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. And one of them goes on. I mean, right. that would have been a, that would have been a classic because Notre Dame would have had their safety. They would have their running back. They didn't have those in the Fiesta Bowl. Michigan State didn't have uh, Kenneth Walker. You know, all these playoff teams, everyone played, right? They didn't. No one opted out because. So I think they should expand the playoffs because then they could then people could sell recruits like, hey, we can get to the playoffs too. Because right now, what's happening is. These teams like Alabama and Georgia are like, listen, we get to the playoffs yearly, right? We're not like Michigan where we just get there, you know, every other yeah, five by, years. By happenstance. We, right. We're not like Michigan State where we get there every five years, right? right. We get there every year. Well, if right. you're, a Mich- you're a Michigan State fan, you can be like, listen, we can get there right now. Right. So... I think, you know, you hit on a couple points, Joe, that I think we need to talk about. First off, I definitely want to make sure that everybody listening, if you want to see some analysis that's really engaging, boy, if you want to get into a good conversation, you've got to go to our Facebook page, go to Between the Whistles Detroit. Uh, We've got some of the best engagement on some of this stuff. And uh, we talk about stuff other people don't in a way that nobody else will. So you want to definitely go and visit us there. So one of the conversations that I want to have with you, Joe, is you mentioned, you know, Michigan's had a difficult time in recruiting, you know, and there's a number of reasons for that. And we talked pre-show a little bit about that, about why Michigan's had such a hard time recruiting. I think that's going to be a considerable challenge for them, even more so than it has been in coming seasons and possibly even next season. I'll tell you why. Look how many of their key players are, are making themselves eligible for the draft, right? That are entering the NFL draft. I mean, you've got four or five key people, uh, key guys that are going into the NFL. You've got the potential of losing Jim Harbaugh, the head coach to the NFL. And here's the thing. What happens if we lose Jim Harbaugh? What happens if we lose four or five of these guys to the NFL? You're going to have a vacuum of leadership. And I will argue that my experience, even in my field, is it's worse to have a vacuum of leadership than bad leadership. I'd rather have bad leadership than a vacuum of leadership. And that's what I'm afraid might happen with Michigan if they can't fill that gap, if they can't fill that hole with recruiting or by using the the, uh, portal. Because when we were talking about pre-show about the NIL um, policies that Michigan has, that's a huge detriment and one of the things that Jim Harbaugh is disenchanted with. So where does that leave the future of Michigan football? Well, do I think Jim Harbaugh, do I think he's going to leave? Probably not. I mean, is it out there? Could it be? Could it happen? Sure, it could. Because what it's come down to is it's basically a warf. You know how it is, internal warfare. Sure. Like that, that's the name of the game in my field. Yeah, like we're like like internal warfare. Like right, the, like Mark Schlissel is the president of the University of Michigan, right? He's on his way out, and there's a reason he's on his way out because they value academics so high that they really kind of like they don't they value it so high that they kind of detriment their own progress, right? 
your biggest market marketing tools as a university is your sports teams, right? Like the Michigan State, right? Their their biggest two faces of their university is Tom Izzo and Mel Tucker. So you got my man Mel Tucker there. Yeah. I mean, it, who else do you need, really? But Tom Izzo, he, I, I'll both, give you that They're one. both smooth, classy guys, yeah, right? Absolutely, and hands down. And they're both they're both out. Michigan State pubs them out a lot. I mean, even Ohio State, like they got Ryan Day. I mean, he's a very, very he's he he carries himself very, very well. You know, they're this is how they these universities go. Okay, like even at Alabama, right? Alabama, all they have to do is be like, listen, all Nick Saban has to do is make a thirty second commercial. Saying why you should come to Alabama, and boom, they got like a thousand applicants. Done deal. A thousand applicants. I mean, I think it's on average when you have a good football team, you average like I think it's a thousand applicants a day at the universities where you're a top ten team. And these and these universities are spending millions and millions of dollars to recruit students. Right, and and the prop and, and and you the easiest recruiting tool is football, basketball. Obviously, you know, in some states, it's hockey, like, you know, the Minnesotas, the Boston Colleges, sure. all that stuff. But in, like, the majority of the country, it's football or basketball. That's Those are two big ones. So, what Michigan's having trouble with is kind of their own arrogance, right? Because when you look at other universities across the, the landscape, right, the University of Florida. Yeah, you know what it takes to get into the University of Florida? I'm guessing uh, more than the average athlete GPA. <laughs> well, it's higher than Michigan's GPA. Oh, wow. To get into Florida, you need a 4.3. A 4.1 on average is admitted to the University of Florida. Wow, that's a pretty high price tag for that sunshine. There is no one on that football team. No one. I guarantee you there's probably one or two that... In the college football landscape, that can get a four point one, four point two. I mean, I didn't even have a four point in school. There, you gotta, and I'm probably the smartest person you know, I know. You know how rare? You know? You, you know how? <laughs> you know how rare it is? Speaking of arrogance, and I'm a Spartan. I'm just kidding. Do you, do, do you know how rare it is for a, a college football player to be that smart? It's very rare because, like, like a guy like Kirk Cousins, right? He went to Michigan State. He he. He was a, a major in bio, biomed, biomedicine, whatever. Uh, Calvin Johnson, Georgia Tech, engineer. Like, those don't, you don't see many college football players major in, like, pre-med or anything like that. It's usually, like, sports medicine or uh, kinesiology or general studies. Yeah, that, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of kinesiology. And I'm wondering, you know, I had to look that up. Because, you know, a lot of people that I've, you know, had had conversations with or, or people that I've known in the past or whatever, you know, I'm wondering, what did you study in school? And I'll be darned if a lot of I had to look it up. I had to look up what it was because I'm like, what are all these people going into kinesiology? Have you ever met kinesiologist? No, no. I haven't either. I don't think anyone does the, it the professionally. Problem the problem with the University of Michigan is like, okay, you get these kids in as a football player or a basketball player or yeah. a hockey player, right? Right. Do you really think that they're gonna have the time to like go to, to like go and do their best schoolwork? No, because they they they're practicing all the time, and when they're not practicing, they're working out, or they're doing something that's involved in the game. Right. They really don't have the time to go and in major in journalism or pre law, like they just don't. 
like the the whole misnomer about the University of Michigan, like the the their academic standards is just asinine. Like if if you're gonna be a big boy in college football, okay, there's a ton of football. There's a ton of good football universities that bend the rules for their sports, their their athletes. Bend them? You're being generous there. You know how many student athletes I've spoken to or former student athletes? When I say when I say who told me when, they didn't even take their own tests, they didn't do their when own I say, homework. When I say bend, I mean like they bend it all the way, kind of like a bendy right. straw, <laughs> and just sort of leave it like hanging over the edge. Listen, it's it's, right. it's not like these kids are going to the major in law or not majoring in pre med. They're not going there for that. They're right. literally right. going there to play sports. Like I've always said that when you these athletes should just be given a four year scholarship after they're done playing football, so they can come back and get it whenever they want. Because asking them to be a student athlete and major in what the hell are they majoring in? You know, that's a brilliant Joe. That is an absolutely brilliant idea. I haven't, you know, that makes complete sense because that way they can focus on their athletics, yeah. ride that out. And then when they, and then when they're done, then, then when, it's they're when they done, need it, when, when they can't play when, anymore. When they're done, right? Right. When they're done, let's say they're not a good football player and they can't go to the pros because not, they're facing a lot of these college football players not going to the pros. Like a majority of them. Right. Will not be going to the pros. Right. Why? Because there's only seven rounds in the draft and usually there's 215 picks. There's more than 215 players in college football. So give them the four-year degree after, and don't even worry about the academic standards when they're playing football. Because the reality of the situation is, if you think the big boys down south are playing by the same rules that you do, you are absolutely blind. And that's the problem with Michigan. Is they've been absolutely blind to the fact that, like, like we got to have these kids be up to academic standards. They got to be this. They got to do this. It's like, what are, do you want? Do you want a football team? Or do you want, like, a bunch of guys that are, like, uh, church boys? Well, and I, I think that, I think you made a salient point, and that is that I think it's possible that it's time for the decision makers at the University of Michigan to reevaluate their model. I think it's possible their model could be a bit outdated. It's outdated. For, for a modern environment, and I think they need to update, and they need to at least revisit that, take a look at it, and see what they can do to become because more you, competitive yeah. and, and, and more uh, re- realistic in a modern environment. And so I think it, it never hurts to reassess your model, your program, whatever. And I think that the University of Michigan, you make a very good point, and I think you're right, that the, it's time for the University of Michigan to reevaluate and take another look at their modeling because I, I think it's a bit out of date. Like, Mel Tucker, right? He can go to transfer portal get these kids from Florida. He can get these kids from Mississippi State. They can transfer over to Michigan State because Michigan State's admissions, they let them go because kind of like... They don't let them go for anything, but they let them go if they're eligible. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, that's the difference. And you look at Michigan, you look at Notre Dame, they always play the big boy, right? They always play the, we're better than everybody else, we're good as everyone else, academic standards, we play football too. Well, you've seen what happened against Georgia, what happens. You go down there and you get your ass kicked when you play these teams because they're not playing by the same rules you you are. They aren't going out yeah. there. They aren't going out there and be like, Guys, go do your schoolwork. Academic standards. No, they're not. You think Florida's playing by academic standards? I can tell you probably right now, there's probably one person on that team that is even, like, 
close to a 4.4. I bet you it's not even close to a 4.4. I, I don't know many people. I don't know many people, and I know a lot of smart people. I don't know many people they who are close to a 4.4 GPA. I mean, that's like that's like superhuman. Like, like who does that? I mean, I mean, I think you know, even in my grad, you know, when I was doing graduate school classes and stuff like that, graduate level classes. I mean, I, I mean, I was about a 3.8 student. I mean, you look at and I had to work hard to get a, to be a three. I was a 3.86, yeah. and I had to work hard for that. So to, to be a 4.4 and concentrate fully on having a potential in, in athletics, I, I think is unrealistic. Well, that's why Florida bends rules yeah. for them because no, they, 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 they can't be like, okay, these kids coming in, if we want them to be good at football, we have to kind of bend the rules a little bit because yeah. it's not equal. It's not equal. Like, not every school is like Vanderbilt, right? Where you go to Vanderbilt, you're not going there to play football. Right. You're going there to right. become a biomedical guy or uh, you're a surgeon or whatever. Like, Saving the world. Right. You, go to, you want to save the world? Go to Vanderbilt. You're going to, you're, right. you're, you're going to go to business Harvard school. Harvard or something. Right. You play, you play in right. the Ivy League. You know what you're getting yourself into. But like, sure. Michigan always wants to play the big boy. They want to play the big boy. They say, let's play the big boy. We are a big boy. We are a challenger. We can challenge for the national championship. And then when you go down and play Georgia, you see what happens. So what I'm hearing you say, Joe, is that Michigan needs to make a decision. Who are you going to be? You're going to be a big boy, or are you going to be? Because the reality of the situation, the, dad. the reality of the situation is, there's not many universities that care about their academic standards when it comes to football and basketball. Just ask North Carolina, okay? Ask Duke. Those are two basketball schools who allow probably the dumbest individuals to play their sport. <laughs> Well, at least we don't. Well, at least we're not in the dumbest category, and I don't think so. Well, we got a, Duke, we got a lot of Duke, great people here. Duke had Kyrie Irving, who thought who thought look, he thinks the world is flat. You really think that guy's getting oh, into Duke God. University? Are you nuts? It's like, <laughs> but you know what? He's good at basketball, so they're like, we accepted you. <laughs> you're 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 accepted. You can believe anything you want. You know, you can be the dumbest. Person in the world, just keep those three points. But if you could dribble the ball as fast as you, as you talk, cool. Let's go, run it. <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you, you're you just don't hear these kind of conversations on other shows. That's why you got to tune into the Cindy and Joe show on Between the Whistles. Go to our Facebook page, visit us on YouTube. We always have good content. It's always good. Yeah, and the last thing I want to say though. Oh boy. I keep, I've been trying to wrap this segment up for about three attempts now. The last thing I want to say. Fourth down. Fourth. <laughs> <laughs> We're going for two. That's We're going right. for two. Two point conversion. Listen, Michigan has always prided themselves on being the leaders and the best, right? Right. You can't be the leaders and the best when you're half in and half out. You're either in the pool or you're out of the pool. So if you want to be a big boy, you can't play the same adage that Notre Dame plays with, like the whole, we have student athletes and they can compete too. Because we see what happens when Notre Dame goes to play a hard, tough team. And they get their brakes blown off them too, because you can't be, you can't have a bunch of smart kids and think that you're going to be competitive in football, because the best kids at football, they've got knocked around a little bit, the brain's a little bit, you know, it's a marshmallow world up in there. You gotta like, sometimes you just gotta be like, okay, see, the, you know, when Michigan State played in the playoff, right, in 2015. Mark D'Antonio took a team there that was probably not supposed to go to the playoff. But they did. They beat Ohio State at the horseshoe, blah, blah, blah. 
They go to they go to play Alabama. They keep it close for a half. That was one of the, their better teams that Mark D'Antonio had. Yeah. Kept it close for a half. And then Alabama was like, oh, okay, enough of this garbage. Here we go. Let's take them out. 38 nothing. That was the end of the game. Right? Yep. Michigan State had to bend the rules. To, when Mel Tucker came, I'm pretty sure he said, listen, if you want me to take this job, you got to let me get my guys. You have to let me get players that I can get in here or we're not going to be successful or I'm not taking this job. Because if you are saying that I have to abide by uh, academic standards, which is Michigan State's a 3.71, <laughs> see ya. Right. There's better places out there that will let me go for a lot less. Well, Mel Tucker knew. I think Mel Tucker has always had a very good sense of the reality of things, the practical reality of yeah. things. And, um, he, you know, quite frankly, Michigan State had nowhere to go but up at that point. I so. think Tom Izzo was for it, too, because the reality of the situation is they can't compete with some of these teams that bend the rules so much. Well, that's it. They so, just can't you, can't. you can't compete with people that are bending the rules. Here's what I say, Jeff, and we're going to – or Jeff, oh, my God. <laughs> Joe, I don't even know your name anymore. See how long this has gone? Yeah. This is what I'm hearing Joe say. I'm hearing Joe say this. Just like Pat Morita said in The Karate Kid, for those of us who are old enough to appreciate that movie, left side, you stay safe. Right side, safe. You walk in the middle, squishy like grape. That's what happens. That's what you're saying. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, because when you're on the left and right side, you're, like, you're just you're just playing it safe. Don't go in the middle. You but get if, squished but like if, a grape. But, but if you want to be a big boy, you got to go up the middle. Well, you got to you got to choose a side. Right. You go in the middle, you're going to get squished like grape. No, the, the middle is not going to squish like grape because he's, he's a 395-pound taunt of a man. <laughs> All right. All right, this is Between the Whistles, Detroit. Next segment, we'll be talking about Michigan State, and we're going to wrap up their season. They had a good season. We will they talk had a about phenomenal we will season. Talk, they had a good season. So did Michigan. It's been a great year for football in the state of Michigan. We'll talk about Michigan State in the next segment. See ya. Welcome to Cindy and Joe's show. I'm Joe. I'm Cindy. We are talking Michigan State. Michigan State football on Between the Whistles, your hometown team. Now, listen, Michigan State had a great season. They had a fantastic they season. They came back to win in the Peach Bowl. Beautiful. That was a great game, and they, they came back and won, and Mel Tucker got to 11 wins in its second season at Michigan State. The only downside of that game, you know what was missing? You know, my man, Kenneth Walker. My man, Kenneth Walker, was missing for that game, and I understand why. I get it, and they talked about it being a business decision, and I can appreciate that, but I miss seeing him because I thought he was just so fantastic, such a great asset, uh, such an incredible value to watch, and um, I missed him. So that was a downside for me, but I saw my man, Mel Tucker, doing what Mel Tucker does best. Yeah, and you know, Mel Tucker, i got to commend him because he had a really, really good recruiting class this year. And he's gonna. He's there's another guy that he might get in this next signing period coming up, mm-hmm. and he's the top forty wide receiver, and that could be really, really big. Oh, it's gonna be huge. I think Mel Tucker's only going to get better, and um, you know the thing of it is, is you know they got blown out in a couple of games there that people, you know, they got blown out. Obviously, Ohio State blew them out. Uh, you know, and they got blown out. Um, who else blew them out this year? There's one other one. It's kind of like they lost, but they lost spectacularly. Purdue, Purdue yeah. But um, I'll tell you. Well, you know, the, the Ohio State game, people just don't understand that Michigan State, when they went to Ohio State, they were injured. 
they're very, very injured. They're not a team that can – they're not – at this point in the program, they're not a team that can take injuries and kind of reload. Because they're not deep enough. They're not deep enough. Yeah. They're still rebuilding the program to what it – what it, they were trying – they were trying to rebuild the program, stack the program. And when you – you know, you go to Ohio State, you're injured. Kenneth Walker is injured. Your Crouch is injured. You got a bunch of people that are injured. You know, Brantley injured. Like it's gonna, it's gonna take its toll. Like you're, you can't, you can't go that way. Like Michigan, you know, can't even go that way. Like it, you're so, when you're playing a team like Ohio State and they're fully stacked and they're not really injured, and you're injured, I mean, it's gonna be a lopsided score, anyways. Well, you know, in Michigan State wasn't the only big winner here. I mean, we were talking about, you know, what a great what a great season it was for so many Michigan teams. I mean, Western, Ferris State, yep. Michigan State, um, you know, everybody won, I mean, in postseason. And so um, you can't argue the, uh, the quality of Michigan football teams, uh, college football teams this year. Uh, even Michigan, even though they, they didn't end the way they wanted, uh, Michigan State continued to show that grit, that relentlessness. When they say relentless, I mean they were living up to that mantra. And what I saw Mel Tucker do, was that, oh, he's masterful. I mean the guy is just absolutely masterful. He takes whatever he's handed, and he's able to identify where his strengths are. He can he changes up his program. Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't change up the the. Uh, you know, identity. the culture, yeah, right? Identity. The culture and identity doesn't change, but he is definitely able to um, make his team malleable to uh, address the various issues he's facing, whether it be an opponent or the well, challenges on his, in his own squad. So the, that guy is masterful at it. The old adage is, you know a good coach when you see one because they could take chicken bleep and make chicken salad. Yeah. You know, like a, like a, a guy like Bill Belichick, right? He's always, he's always he got his team... Somewhere in the hunt, right? They're in the playoffs, New England Patriots. A guy right. like Mike Tomlin, he's never had a losing season. Why has he never had a losing season? Because he will sometimes be like, okay, we can't do it this way. We got to do it this way. And they'll change it up. Good coaches roll, roll the punches. And bad ones usually just kind of die on their own arrogance. With Mel Tucker, totally different, uh, you know, mindset in the way he approaches things, you know? Like, he approaches things like a, you know, if you're not going to be talented right now, you know, he probably knew that they weren't the most talented team out there. But if you're not going to be talented, you got to have a will to win. You know, I think I think when you watch, you know, John Madden, I was watching the special on John Madden, you know, the All Madden show. Yeah. And he just passed away. One of the things that people said about John Madden that was different when he was a coach was he had such a will to win. And a desire to win that he really like. He wouldn't take, he wouldn't take anything else for you know, like he wouldn't take a half-ass effort. Yeah, that's the same thing with Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker don't take a half-ass effort. Like if you don't play, you ain't gonna play at all. Absolutely, and I think Mel Tucker's probably been the most successful coach. Uh, in Michigan, in any team, I don't care, sports, uh, I mean, professional sports, college sports, it doesn't really matter. He is one of the most successful coaches ever I've seen who has been able to create and propagate a culture and an identity faster than anyone and very, very, very successfully. I mean, you know the identity of Michigan State football because of Mel Tucker, and that has given buy-in to all of his players because they know who they are. 
They know who they are. They trust this coach. He kind of reminds me of Dan Campbell in that way. Yeah. He's, he's kind of you know, Dan Campbell-esque. And they're obviously two different styles, yeah. clearly. But it's that... Um, that creation of that recognition that we have to create a culture that we have to get buy-in that we have, you know, their players love them and they want to play for them. And um, Mel Tucker has done a tremendous job of that. I think he had a phenomenal season. I think the reason why his season is even more impressive, I will say than Michigan. And it's not just because I'm a Spartan. The reason why is that Michigan state was utterly unexpected. This was totally unexpected. And they came so far. It's not like he's been working on this for eight years like Harbaugh. No. He has been working on this for two years, yeah. and he made tremendous progress. They did better than they thought. Um, they they outperformed where they were least expected to do so, beating University of Michigan, yeah. being successful in the Peach Bowl, and um, you know down there in Jordan. Yeah. And well, getting to eleven yeah. eleven wins is an accomplishment in itself. Absolutely, especially in your second season where you you went from. Two and six to eleven and two. Oh yeah. yeah, and I mean, and then and then having the having the vision, you know. And, and I don't want to just keep talking about how great Mel Tucker is. I'll tell you what, it'll be for those of you listening out there who know me <laughs> and have this ability. Get me a meet with Mel Tucker, Mel. If you're out there listening, I I'm one of your biggest fans let's, out there. Let's, let's make that happen. That make it happen. I gotta meet Mel Tucker because I, I have so much respect for this guy and I have so much admiration for him. But here's the thing too: he had the vision to see Kenneth Walker. He had the vision to see that Kenneth Walker wasn't able. He wasn't in an environment that would allow him to work up to or perform to his potential. He knew if he brought him to Michigan State, he could provide that for him. Mm-hmm. He did it. And now look, now we've got, you know, I'm always one to say I love to create win-wins. That's always, whenever I'm in, you know, whether it be in politics or in business or, or whatever, I'm always looking for the win-win. I want, I want this to be good for everybody. You know, everyone has to get something out of this. Well, Mel Tucker does that. He's a guy who looks for a win-win. You've got it there with, with Kenneth Walker. Not only did Mel Tucker get a win out of getting the best performance out of that player, which gave him an 11-win season, but Kenneth Walker got the best end of that deal in that he was getting him in an environment where, not, where now he's going into the NFL. And, um, you know, you can't get a better win-win than that. You know, when you talk about Mel Tucker and, and his, his, his ability to see uh, talent, Right, have ability to believe in talent that he he's he's taken into the program, you know, like yeah. a Quaterius Crouch, right? He was from Tennessee. He didn't get coached well. You could tell that he wasn't coached well because when he came to Michigan State, he made the same mistakes that he made at Tennessee. But when he came to Michigan State, you know, Mel Tucker made it known that like you got to play my way, or it's not going to work. Like, yeah, and I think that's I think that's that tells everyone that like. You're not immune to being, if you're a top player, you're not immune to not getting talked to or not, you know, getting told what to do. You know what I'm saying? Right. Because a, a lot of these kids, like, if you face the facts, like, you know, they come in, they come into these, some of these programs and they think that they are just the hottest shit in the world. Like, they think they just run things. And a lot of coaches let them get away with it. But the great coaches that actually compete for national championships, like the Kirby Smarts, the Nick Sabins, the Davo Sweeney's, the Ryan Days. They don't tolerate that bullshit. If they don't tolerate you coming over there and saying, you know, I've done it this way, I'm going to do it this way because that's the way it's done, right? Like, 
you did that in high school too. Probably. Right, like right. That doesn't that doesn't work in college. Like these And sure hell is you gonna work in the pros either. Right. You need a you need a coach. Yeah. Everybody needs a coach when they get to a high level or a boss that will t- that will be supportive and tell them that they're doing a great job, but also say like when you're not doing a great job, hey, like you need to like get better. Like I remember in the Peach Bowl Peyton Thorne threw an interception that was not a great throw at all. Right, and, right. You know, Mel Tucker is. Ouch! You can tell he's starting to get. He's starting to get annoyed. He's like, you got. You can read his lips saying, "You're better than that. Like you're better than that. Like you got to go through your progressions and make the right throws." That's the kind of coach Mel Tucker is. And when you look at Michigan State going forward, all these kids come in the program because he's finally going to get a recruiting class that he can actually recruit. Because you know he didn't get a great year with COVID and all that. Last year because he couldn't have he couldn't visit players right so this year he got to do all that and make and, and make them know, their self known them and they're gonna come in and they're gonna see that Mel Tucker means business you come into Michigan State you're not just coming in here to you're not just coming in here to um, play football you're coming in here to win and you gotta play it the right way because that's how it's done you know. Mal Tucker is from the Nick Saban coaching tree. Nick Saban, whenever he talks about, you know, winning, whenever he talks to his players, like he always goes, there's always a re- rhyme and a reason why I say the things I do. Right. If you want to be, and I, I remember this one quote about, he goes, he goes, you know, back in the day, my mom, my, my, my dad would tell, you know, this is Nick Saban talking. He right. Goes, back in the day, my dad would tell me to go mow the grass. And then he watched me miss a spot. And he waited till I got in the house, got showered. <laughs> and he was like, you missed a spot. And he, he, he always did that. He always did that. And it, ta- it taught him accountability. And that's why he, he pre- preaches to the players. I'm sure Mel Tucker and Nick Kirby Smart at Georgia, they both do the same thing because they've learned from the best. Absolutely. And, you know, the best coaches, the best uh, trainers, the best managers in, in any field, but in sports too. It's like another guy we'll be talking about. Steve Eisman in the last segment. Yeah, my man. My man, Stevie he, Y. He learned from Ken Holland. Yeah. Who'd Ken Holland learn from? Jimmy Davilano. You talk about the th- a three-peat of just great men that are just good at decision-making, and they learn from each other. Like, you, Jim Davilano was a great – he's a Hall of Fame NHL the man, general manager. Yeah. Ken Holland's a Hall of Fame general manager. And Steve Eisenman's going to be a Hall of Fame general manager and player. Oh, and the hands down. You know, and the thing is that people who are great leaders – recognize that people will perform to the level of expectation that you set. Mel Tucker understands this, which is what make one of the things that makes him such a great leader is he understands that if he sets a high, the high bar, mm-hmm. a very high level expectation, his players will perform to that level of expectation. And he holds them accountable to that. Yeah. And that is, that is the secret. I will tell you folks, that is the secret to success in any field whatsoever, everything I've ever been a part of that has had um, tremendous amount of success has had that element there, and you see it on display with Mel Tucker and the Michigan State Spartans. And like you know, we talk about it all the time with you know uh, Dan Campbell is, is is he gets the the players love him. They love Mel yeah. Tucker. Yeah, yeah. And you know, do you know what they say about Nick Saban? Players love him because he can be a hard ass and he can be a best friend. You choose which path you want to go. And you better choose the right path, or it's not going to be fun for you. 
That's right. That's right. You can you can take pain or you can take pleasure. Which one would you like? And I, well, you know, some people there, you know, yeah, they, well, they, yeah. they 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 fancy both. Yeah, but yeah. hey, we're no we're not judging here on the Cindy and Joe show. We don't judge. We're just giving it to you straight the, how we see the it. The great coaches, the great coaches get the most out of the players that they that's right they have, and they make sure that they the players know know what they're what they what's expected of them when they come into the, the team that they're playing for. Absolutely. Can't give Michigan State enough credit this year, and I can't wait to see what we're going to see next season. Yeah, I think it's going to be a very, very good season for Michigan State next year. Like, I really do. I think they're going to yep. I think they're going to build on what – they got some questions, but they had questions last year, and Mel Tucker made it work. I have confidence in Mel Tucker because if you can do this in year two, boy, oh, boy, you can do some major big things down the road. Where there's a will, Tucker finds a way. This is Between the Whistles Detroit. Next, we will be talking about the Lions and their emerging superstar and what it means to the Detroit Lions going forward. Good stuff. Between the Whistles. Welcome in Between the Whistles. I'm Joe. I'm Cindy. And we are talking the Lions and Stevie Nicks. Now, there's two things I would have never put together. Stevie Nicks belongs in, in football conversation. Oh, you gotta help me out here, because I mean, I'm a smart woman, but I I'm not getting the connection there between Stevie Nicks and the Detroit Lions. Did you know that Stevie Nicks dated Joe Joe Namath? It doesn't surprise me. I mean, if I had the opportunity, I would have dated Joe Namath. Broadway Joe. Oh Oof. heck yeah! He's still he's still good looking at his age. Isn't that well, something? That's that that's amazing. But you know, we're talking the Lions. And the Lions... Yeah, there's nobody good looking on the Lions. Actually, no, that's not true. I think Dan Campbell's a hottie. He's a hottie. He's, he's cute. He's got... He definitely works on that body because he does a really good job of working out because that... He looks like he could play football right now. Well, you know what? He's kind of got that little bit of a rough edge to him, but he wears his heart on his sleeve. He's like that kind of rough kind of sweetheart. So, he's, 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 he's a good he's, guy. He's a good guy. And But the reality of the situation is there's another... There's an emergent superstar... For the Lions. Is that how you're drawing the connection between Stevie Nicks, a superstar, and we have a superstar coming on the line? <laughs> yes. Th- that, you're getting a conclusion. <laughs> she dated a superstar quarterback. Yeah. So we have a superstar coming in. And he's got a cool name. Amon Ra St. Brown. Amon Ra. Yes. I love that guy's name. If nothing else, no, but he is. He's really showing that what the future of the Lions could be. Yeah, and you know... When we talked about this, you know, about Brent Holmes, right? We talked about can you find people in the draft and do that's how you have confidence of your general manager. Like, we don't have confidence in Alvila. Does anyone? We has have, anyone ever had confidence in Alvila? We have all, utmost confidence in, and he's allowed to do carte blanche with Steve Eisenman. Oh, hands down. And we have, and Troy Weaver has earned confidence too. What? Because of the moves that he's made. Brett Holmes has become the same way. I mean, if you look at his draft class, I mean, Don Rod St. Brown was a fifth-round draft pick, and he found probably one of the steals of the draft in the fifth round. And I, we always talk about it with Stevie Y is when you, if you find talent later in the draft, it means that you're a great general manager. And when we say great general manager, we mean you're able to find talent Outside the first round, because usually the first round, you know what you're getting, you know? You know the guy you're getting. He's probably a difference maker. He's a good player, or he's a guy who could be on your, your roster for a long time. But when you get to the later rounds, you're kind of taking shots in the dark. 
or you're taking shots that you know this guy could be good or he could be really, really bad. But you have to have good instincts. You have to have you have to be able to see into the draft what it is that your organization needs, not just what anybody could use, right. but specifically what does your organization need. And that's really where strategic planning comes into play. And I think that you you've got a, a couple of guys who've proven that they're looking into the, the long haul. Yeah. You know, they're not just playing a short game here. They're looking at the long game. And I think that it's, you know, Stevie Y, again, is just brilliant at that. And as soon as he got to Detroit, he said immediately, and perhaps this is what, you know, Dan Campbell and, and Brad Holmes should have done. They should have come out like Stevie Y and honestly burst everybody's bubble. But I remember the first, very first, you know, interview uh, or press conference Steve Eiserman had, and he said immediately, look, you know, everybody was so excited. They thought, oh, you know, Savior is back in Detroit. And he said, well, look. It's 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 not going to happen overnight. It's, it's, it's going to be it's going to be years. It's going to be a process. He said three to five years before yeah. you know that it's going to take uh, to to get us to in where we're NFL, competitive. In the NFL, it's a little bit different because you can rebuild quickly. According, you know, in NHL, you have to wait a couple years because you know some of the players are younger and you got to let them mature a little bit. These kids coming out of college for football, they're they're ready to go pretty much off hot. Like Penny Sewell looks like he's ready to go, ready to strike when all the iron's hot. Michael Parsons, the Cow- Dallas Cowboys, Rashawn Slater, all these guys, they come out of college and they look like they literally can play pro football day one. You know, and I don't know if it's because the way a football program is is functionally different in developmental stages than, say, a hockey program or, or even base- a baseball yeah, program. Yeah. And, well, and it, that it, is- it, is, it is because these college kids that are playing college football they're going against pros pretty much like you're, you're going against yeah. pros because the whole thing with, you know, and there's in hockey and baseball, there's, there's different types of players, right? Like in, in hockey, you got the Europeans, you got the Canadians, the Czechs, the, the US, Americans. Yeah. It's, it's really a worldwide recruitment. It's, 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 yeah. and you know, in, in, in baseball, it's the same way, you know, you're, you got the yep. Cubans, Dominicans, yep. the Brazilians, South, the Venezuelans, yep, yep. you know, you got the Americans and the, you got the Japanese now. I mean, right. but it's like, it's in football, it's all American kind of, I mean, there's some that are coming from overseas now, but not majority. And the reality of the situation is like, you're seeing these kids come out of college and they're ready to go because they played at high levels of football, either in the Pac-12, the Big 12, Big 10, SEC, they're just, they're coming ready to play. Well, and one of the things that Dan Campbell said to that point about Panay Sewell is that you know, he said that he shows a maturity beyond his years. He's a very mature player already, and he's smart. He said he's smart as a whip, I think is was his actual quote um, with regards to Panay Sewell. So, um, you know, he's definitely got – they had a good draft. Uh, they got these guys some really good playing time because of a lot of the injuries we had. A lot they of, had a lot of injuries. Yeah, yes. a lot of injuries, really injury prone. I, I think, you know, we need to be careful in not judging Dan Campbell too harshly. Uh, because he had a lot of challenges this season. I'm not saying that that's an excuse necessarily, except for I would say, you know what, let's give him an opportunity to have a healthier season with a cup, you know, with a very good draft class that is going to now be in their year two mm-hmm. development. Yep. And then he's got another opportunity, another bite at the apple with another good draft class. He's got two first round picks this year too. Right. Exactly. So, that's my point. You, you know, the reality of the situation though is like, like people don't understand, like, especially in football. You know, people are – I see it all the time. You know, I I run Detroit Lions News. 
I see all the time, like, or well, we've been rebuilding forever. Well, you haven't had general managers who can pick people. You know, like, look at all the great Detroit teams across Detroit. The Bad Boys. The 84 Tigers. The Wings of 97, 98, 2002, and 2008. Yeah. Look at the leadership they had at the top at general manager, look at the coaches and then say, yeah, those were good teams. I don't think anybody's saying Chuck Daly was a bum ass coach. Right. I don't think they were saying that, you know, the general manager was a bum ass general manager. No, because they found talent and it matched. They aren't saying about the Red Wings because Nick Lidstrom, Stevie Y, Sergey Fedorov, Darren McCarty, Kirk Malpe, Kevin Osgood, Whew. You right. can go down the list. Well, again, you know, deep, deep. You got depth there in, in the, the Lions. Not only are they not, you know, it's going to take them some time to develop the depth, I think. But even, you know, their go-to guys. I mean, I think we still, I think Jared Goff is. is he's serviceable. He's serviceable, he, but I still don't think he is the QB for the Lions uh, I think that he might make a good backup because let me tell you, we got no backup right. QB at all. But the problem, the problem with this draft coming up is there's no QBs that are even close to what golf so, is. You know, so what's so their you, answer? So, so you keep this is the reality. So you know, looking forward to Brett Holmes in the second year, you're going to start to see the the talent on the team get better. Now you're not going to have the quarterback to get to the next level, but next year you're going to have two first round picks. So you could trade up in the draft and get your quarterback. That's the reality. I mean, maybe you finish in the top the top ten of the draft, you know, the draft, and you get you can get your QB. But I think they're going to be better than that next year. And I think with the two first round picks, you can trade back into the first round. I mean, you could trade up in the first round, get a quarterback that you want that you could build around. Jared Goff is just a placeholder at this point. Unless he proves otherwise, he's a placeholder at this point. Well, and you know, in addition to that, I mean, really, who are your go to receivers? I mean, even when you're looking at receivers, I mean, I think you, you're you going to have to shore that up a little bit, too. I think it's getting better, but you're going to have to shore that up. And I really think, and, and give me your thought here, Joe, I mean, if you're the Lions and you have to concentrate uh, on either your O-line or your defense, where are you going? I'm saying go to the offensive line. I'm okay, saying develop the, the offensive line. The offensive line is going to be better next year because they're going to get Frank Ragnall back. They're going to have a healthy offensive line. Penn I still in year two. Jonah Jackson is going to be back. Vitae is going to be back. You don't have to do nothing on the offense line. Defensive line, you're going to probably you're probably going to draft edge rusher either Hutchinson, which I'm really not a fan of after the game against Georgia because he went against NFL talent and didn't look like NFL talent, and or Kayvon Thibodeau, and you're going to get your edge rusher in the first pick of the first round. In the second pick, you can take a wide receiver that could be the second fiddle to a guy like. I'm Ross St. Brown. And well, then, then you then you know, you use free agency, you go you go get a guy that you think that could be serviceable. You go get, you go build the depth in the wide receiving core, you go get some depth for the linebacker, you build the rest of the draft by getting players that you that fall to you, and you'll be good. What I think the Lions really need, and I think it was the answer for the, the Detroit Red Wings, I think they demonstrated this and we talked about it before the season's Started because we saw it coming, and I think that this is what the Lions need. They need all they need 
is one or two game changers. They need someone to shift yeah. the momentum. That's what they need. Well, they, they, they need a momentum you shift. Know what, you know what they think? Just like Cider and Raymond have been for the Detroit Red Wings, the Lions need something like that. You know what they say in football? That you need you need three elite level players. They have to be either on offense or they're usually the best teams are spread out. Like you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, right? They got Mahomes, they got Travis Kellis, and they got Tyreek Hill. But on defense, they got Trayon Matthew and Chris Jones. Those are five good players. Five really good players that make a difference in the team. You look at the Packers. They had the best record in the NFL, right? Best record. They got Aaron Jones, Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams. They're missing their their left tackle all year. <laughs> right. Who they get back for the playoffs. Right. They have Rashawn Gary. They have... Jari Alexander come back, and Eric Stokes turned into a good player. So you you look at that, and you go, you go. Those are those are the measuring sticks. So you get, you hope that you can develop some of these players, and they become those guys that you can lean on. But you need five good players, at least, to become like a Super Bowl contender. Now three gets you to the next level of you can compete, but you're not ready yet. I think the Lions just need one to help light a fire to change They'll the get, shift the momentum. They have I mean, they have one changing player on this team this year. And I and I understand the the Amonrasse and Brown. Well, it's Penisul. Oh Penisul. Well yeah. but I'm saying they need what I'm thinking, Joe, is that they need a veteran a, a marquee player you're not who's gonna, gonna get come a, in there. You're not gonna get a veteran in while you're rebuilding. So you gotta draft it. It's like kinda like the Rebels, right? They didn't go out and they get a. They didn't go out and get a free agent that they, the veteran that they kind of coveted. I mean, Verona they did, but that was they. That was lightning in a bottle, but that was Stevie Y being Stevie Y, you know. But this is in the NFL. You got to draft your talent, and you got to. You can't overpay because if you overpay, then you're going to be screwed. Because a lot of those overpaid contracts don't really work. Overpaid and long-term contracts. Contracts are a thing of the past. Steve Eiserman proved that the guy doesn't write a contract longer than three years. It doesn't matter who he's got. He could have he could have the next Wayne Gretzky, and he's not signing a contract longer than three the, years because he knows he can renegotiate. The, you know, the, for for once in the Detroit Lions history, I think the Lions have a general manager that they can he identifies talent, and he can pick in all forms of draft. Even his his undrafted free agents are paying off dividends. And they'll be back next year for their second year, and they're going to be really, really good. Brad Holmes has identified and shown that he is kind of a Stevie Y mentality of he can make those smooth moves to get his team where he wants to get. Well, the one big benefit, I think, of this season for both Dan Campbell and and um, Brad Holmes is that they were able to really see in a competitive environment where they're lacking and what they need. Yeah. So at least now they know, uh, have a much better sense of what they need and they know what's not working. Mm-hmm. So it's helping, it's going to help them kind of dial in what is going to work because they established very well what doesn't work. So you know, this was a learning let's, opportunity. Let's take it a step further. All these injuries helped them because they r- really know where they have to go in depth. Like they know they have to go, like we need to focus on this position group because if there's injuries, we need someone to step up, you know? That's what the good organizations do. That's what the you know the, the Robins did for years. It's the Patriots did for years. It's the Spurs did for years. Go on down the list. Every team that has been successful has had 
general managers who identified the depth that they needed and they got the star players with their obvious picks. Well, I think it's fair to say for sure that the Lions have found out that a passing game is not their game. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, when they get when they get the quarterback and they get the run, they get the wide receivers that they maybe they can open up the passing game. But at this time, you know, it's obviously been whatever. It's obviously been. It's they obvi- hurt us, Joe. They hurt us. They didn't like that. Obviously, it's been. <laughs> obviously, it's been the uh, running game that's been the big. But that's the thing that you can look forward to. Their running game is going to be elite next year, and they're going to have, you know, Frank Ragnall back, and that's going to be a huge get for, you know, the whole offense because their center is a big part of your offense. You just got to like where the lines are going because, unlike in the years past, they are showing development in key areas of the rookies and everything, and they're showing that they can identify talent in the later rounds, and their draft class is really, really good. I don't know. I'm giving. I think it's going to take a couple more years. I think you're going to see a better season next year. I mean, really, could it, you can't get any worse, uh, knock on wood. But um, I wonder what the Vegas odds were on the Lions at the beginning of the season. You're you're a big sports betting it guy. Five, it was five and a half, so it was under. Yeah. So so they definitely came in under. Now, I would think that most people, at least out of Detroit, the bets out of Detroit were, com- were coming in under. They probably but, had to pay off big time on them. But if you betted at the beginning of the year that the Lions would have a tie, do you know what the odds were? I can't imagine. Plus 3,000. Wow, that means a tie game, yeah. which they did. Yeah. Wow. And like, wonder who got paid off there. Like twenty people got in across the country. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, here's here's the Lions. The Lions tie score. You know, zero zero. No, I'm just Steelers three game. three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is between the West with Detroit. We'll be talking the Rebels in the next segment. Join us for that segment. My boys. Welcome to Cindy and Joe's Show. I'm Joe. I'm Cindy. It's been a crazy train of emotions for Red Wings fans as they have uh, seen uh, the Red Wings go from wins to losses to wins to losses. And you know what I took from it is I was listening to Jeff Lashaw on the ticket today, and he was saying now how sometimes he's got to get the young kids woven in. Sometimes when they get down, they get too down. And when they get too high, they get too high. He goes, sometimes... These kids need to learn that they, that when you're doing good, it's not going to last forever. And you can't let it get to your head because if you let it get to your head, that's when you get beat like you did against Boston. Well, that's it exactly. You know, and that's typical. of He's got a young team. And the, the benefits of having that young team is he's got a lot of tremendous talent coming up. They've got a lot of energy. They've got a lot of potential. Um, and, you know, they're, they're fast. Uh, they've got the, just all the benefits and trappings of uh, benefits of youth, but they've also got the trappings of youth. And he's pointing that out where you know sometimes the psychological game has not caught up with their physical game. Yep. And and that's exactly what Jeff Blaschel is saying. And so what he was indicating is that he needs to manage the psychological game as much as he does the the physical game uh, for this young team. And you know, but hey. Look what happened when they came back against San Jose. What an amazing game that was. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that makes them exciting to watch. And um, I think that you're going to see nothing but more and more uh, of those types of of things. Yeah, you're going to get the low lows, but the highs are something that uh, are great to see when you see them. I mean, look at those two shorthanded goals in 37 seconds. I mean, we haven't seen a shorthanded goal out of Detroit in forever, and now we've got two of them. In, 101 games. In, yeah, yeah, I mean, in, inside inside of, you know, 37 seconds, you get two of them. 
I mean, you know, that's that makes for a great storyline. I, I don't I don't care what the composition seems. It makes for a great storyline. Makes for a great view hockey viewing. Yeah, and the one thing I I took from the interview though is he's they're going on a West Coast trip this, this week, and he says you know the one thing he has t- talked to a young team about is when you go to the good weather states and you, uh, you uh, stay you off want, the beach, you want to enjoy yourself. He goes, listen, it's a business trip. That's it's right, a business trip, and you know that's that's the thing that you know the one thing that Jeff Blashill has really got a bad hand at is the leadership that he's shown and, and the leadership that he. Um, teaches within the pro the the, uh, the program that they're they're building the culture you know stevie y obviously kept him around for a reason he believed in jeff blashell i believed in jeff blashell yes he did but you were wrong about michigan football got to take another opportunity to get that in there i've been right about more than i've been wrong <laughs> listen you know jeff blashell has got very he's got he has got a lot that hate hate towards him like and and and, it, and some of it is warranted on the way that they played. You know, obviously going through rebuild. You know, rebelling fans are a little bit like, we got to be better. We got to be better. We got to be better, right? But the the reality of the situation is, like Stevie Y said when he got here, it's going to be a process. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be growing pains. It's going to be tough. But you gotta you gotta deal with those. You know, to be to get where you're at, you gotta you gotta deal with. The ups and the downs, and uh, you don't really go from bad to great. Well, and it's it's you know it's a matter of having patience, and again, that's one of the things you develop as you get older, as in natural progression, you develop patience, and uh, you know something that Stevie Y has demonstrated not just patience and seeing the progress of his team come along, but you know patience with um, you know the, the the fans, patience with the organization. Um, just gosh, have you ever seen a more level-headed, even-keeled, and even-tempered guy? I mean, and he has such a discipline. I think just Stevie Y just shows such a tremendous discipline, and that's something you know that these young players can also learn from. And Jeff Blashill is—it's good thing that he's so good with these young players because he's going to have another one coming up, who as impressive. And as exciting as Mo Sider and Lucas Raymond are, and we both called that beginning mm-hmm. of the season, we knew that these two were going to be people to watch. These were players to watch. We told everyone this. We told you our third one, and we got confirmation again from a scout um, friend of ours who uh, was over in Sweden recently, getting, uh, getting, geez, getting a look see at um, Simon Edmondson, and uh, Simon Edmondson is going to be even more interesting and more exciting than Mo Sider and Lucas Raymond, which I find hard to believe because these guys have simply ignited the wings. Yeah, this is what his message said. Yeah, t- okay. tell us the message. So his message... We got people. His message was loud and clear. And we'll post this on Between the Whistles and uh, Ice Queen. But his message was very, very stark. Okay? He called Sider. He called Raymond. He said they were both going to be really, really good players. But when he said this, I go, I went, okay... Calm down. But knowing that he's an NHL scout for an NHL team that does scout pretty well, when he said this, I was like, okay. Yeah, it's not like he's a scout for Ottawa or Calgary. Yeah, he's not He's not scouting ECHL where a bunch of bums are. He's not. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a scout for one of, the, one of the good organizations in hockey. And he said something that was like, dude, calm down. And he was like, no, I'm serious. 
His exact words were, if you think cider is good, if you think cider is good, and you think that, um, you think that cider is good, you think that Raymond's good, wait till you get a look at that Simon Edmondson kid. He is the best prospect that will come out of Sweden in the next 10 years. And apparently my understanding is he's got a shot as good, if not better, than Nick Lindstrom. And uh, one of the best shots they've seen out of Sweden in, in since Lindstrom. Yeah. So, so the, the, guy, the guy literally said, he goes, I have not seen a shot since Lindstrom. And he's been around hockey for a long time, 25 years. He says, I haven't seen a shot better than Edmondson. And it's not just the shots, but it's the, he plays as a mean streak. He really plays as a mean streak. He likes to hit the, he likes to hit. He's not a big guy, but he likes to be, he's a, he's a strong, tall player who, who likes to inflict his, his, his tall, you know. Uses physical. Yeah, yeah uses physical ability. Yeah. But he said, he said, he's like this. And I said, okay, dude, calm down. This is what he, when he said this, I was like, calm down. He's not. He said he's kind of like a Nick Lidstrom and Victor Hedman clone. Wow! Because he said he said he's tall and he's got size. He's gonna get he's gonna get more bulk um, to him. Bulk to him. He goes, but there is not a better shot that has came out of Sweden. That's including Victor Hedman. That's including um, guys like uh, Rasmus Dahlin, Sider, all those guys. He goes, there's not a better shot in in hockey right now in the in the, in the Swedish hockey league. There's not. He goes, the Swedish Hockey League is a very, very uh, good league to watch. Very good league. But he goes, the Red Wings have a lot of studs in that league. And in a couple years, give them two of those guys, an Evanson and another guy, like like a, a Ber- you know, he said Berggren, but he's in AHL right now. Yeah. He goes, give them two of those guys, they're going to be contending for a cup easily. Oh, no, no doubt. And I'll tell you, it would not surprise me, based on everything that I've heard and everything I've seen about Simon Evanson, would not surprise me, Joe, if he doesn't even go to Grand Rapids. I bet he comes right into, onto the roster next that's, year. That's what the guy said. Yeah. You know, he, the, scout said, the, the scout said, I go, so is he going to be in the AHL next year or whatever, or the year after that? He goes, dude, he's not going to the American Hockey League. He's coming straight to the big leagues. He's ready to play. He's got the size, the skill, and the poise. He goes, sometimes he can be a little aggressive, but he goes, he goes, he uses his aggressiveness to, to make big-time plays. Like, he's a big-time elite player. But that's going to work for the Detroit Red Wings because if we've seen, if there's nothing else that's been proven this season, it's that when Detroit plays physical, they win. Yeah. Every time. Whenever they stray from that, that's when they struggle. So Detroit needs to play a physical game. They need to be constantly, you know, they need to be concentrated. They need to check. They need to be constantly, you know, pushing the, the envelope, pushing forward in, in the uh, in the offensive zone. They need to constantly be, uh, you know, keeping that, you know, staying out of the neutral zone, neutral zone that was one of their failures last year. I think they've done a great job of keeping it down there in the zone and just keeping the pressure on, keeping the pressure on, being right there at the net, ready for that puck to get there and be ready to make the play. And we have, we're seeing that and we're seeing them be aggressive about that. And so that is what's working for the Wings. They need to continue that. And I think Simon Edvinson 
fits beautifully into that model and into that style of play. And I think he's absolutely a cup contender in the next season or two. Absolutely. And I do expect the Wings to make it into the playoffs. I, I, I do too. But, you know, here's the thing. Like the guy also said, you know, he's been around hockey for 25 years. You know, he's been with a couple organizations and he's he has three cups as a, as a scout. And the one thing that I, I was very, very shocked to hear is, you know, usually when you hear a scout say, you know, like, yeah, if there was a redraft, you know, this player would go number one overall or whatever. But with the Red Wings, he's like, there's um, like four or five players that would go in the first round that were picked in the later rounds. And if there was a redraft of the top ten, three the last three the last three drafts the Red Wings have had with the Cider, Raymond, and Evanson. They would all go number one if there was a redraft. Yeah, and, and look, and Stevie Y had the vision and had the wherewithal to secure these players. He saw their talent. I think Steve Eiserman already had in his mind when he got to Detroit, probably before he got to Detroit, he already had in his mind exactly the picture of the team he wanted, and he has now gone about getting it. I don't think it's like he came here and said, all right, I'm going to figure out what we're going to do. I think he knew exactly what he wanted. He's got, he has, he knows exactly the type of team he had in mind yep. for Detroit. And, he, and he's just systematically going through and making it happen, which is why he was so adamant that it's going to take time because he knew it was going to take some time to find those pieces that were going to fit into his puzzle that he already had set. So you're just seeing the realization of Stevie Wise's worthwhile dream here with the yeah. Detroit Red Wings. And you're, we're seeing it happen and unfold right but you know what we're eyes, all, But you know what we're also seeing, though? Is we're also seeing a guy... And, and a general manager who is not afraid to take calculated risk that he everyone thinks is risk, but he knows it's not a risk. It's because it's the organization the Rebels have had and have had for a long time with their scouting and development and how they how they approach things. And you know, listen, he he, fo- he followed a different mindset. The way it was conveyed to me from the scout was this is not even the same mindset he had in Tampa Bay. This is a way different mindset. He's going like literally. He is literally doing what Ken Holland did and Jim, Jim Devolano did, where he's picking players that are, you know, that no one really thought would be that great, and he's making them great. Like, you know, CBY wasn't a number one overall pick, and he knows that. Of all people, he knows that. That's right. So he knows that he can find talent, Hall of Fame talent, outside the number one overall pick. The lottery has, has really screwed him over twice. But he's he said, <laughs> okay, you're fine, and you know that's the scouts, the 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 guy I talked to, he said, there's one thing that's known and everyone fears, is Stevie Y continuing to be Stevie Y in Detroit, because he's got a different mindset, he's got a way different mindset than he had in Tampa Bay, the Tampa Bay mindset yeah. he was trying to, he was trying to put together players around Victor Hedman and. And Stan Coast and trying to make the team, you know, more competitive. And they won Stanley Cups, but he goes, it looks like in Detroit, that's going to be a team that's going to be, they're going to go on that run where they don't miss the playoffs for another 20 years. He goes, because that is the way Detroit does things. That's how they do it. Yeah, and I think so too. I think you're right. That's the difference between Stevie Wise's approach in Tampa where he had a couple of really key marquee players 
and then he was going to kind of build them a supporting cast. What you see happening in Detroit is you're not just going to have one or two or three marquee players that can say, okay, those are Hall of Famers. No, you're going to go to every single player on that team and say, wow, yep, that could be a marquee player on any other team. Wow, yeah, yeah, that guy too. And you're going to have five, six, eight, ten of these guys like you did on the 2002 team. And, and, you know, it's just a matter of bringing that to fruition. But he's got all the foundation laid, and he's going to continue to plug in pieces, and maybe he'll get lucky here and and there. And the one thing that he said is his trades have been masterful. And we know that for sure. The Fabry trade, the the Nick Letty trade, the Alex Andalkovich trade – I mean, this guy, every time he touches a trade, he wins that trade hands down. The Jacob Verona trade, which, you know, the Rebels are playing, they're playing 500 hockey right now. But when they get Verona back, it's 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 going to be, they're going right. to be ripping and rolling because they're going to have two lines that can score. Now you're talking, now you're cooking with peanut oil. You're really getting this, you're really getting this thing hot. Cooking with Crisco. Yeah, now you, this, this thing's getting hot and it's ready to boil and you're just, you're going to put the french fries in the thing. This is, <laughs> this is exactly what Steve Eisenman is doing. And when he adds Simon Evanson to the team, you know, it's going to be like, listen, we're going to have more talent. Yes, this is how, this is how Stevie Y has done things. And it's, he's, it's, he's, it's, it's really, it's really, you're starting to see the dividends of what you've gone through the last six, years of the rebuild you're starting to see it pay off you know you everyone didn't think much of Dylan Larkin but he has shown that he is a leader and a team leader and even Blackshaw said it he's a team leader you look at Bertuzzi a lot of people paid attention to his vaccination says whatever and, and, and him not being vaccinated not playing beyond playing Canada which I think I think he's I think he might get the vaccine if they get to the playoffs that's besides the point the reality of the situation is those two players took a little bit of time to get to where they are now you got players that are coming into the fold that are coming ready to play, and that was Stevie Wise's goal. And he has the leader that he knows is his perennial leader at the center position, and Don Larkin, who who has has in people around the organization that are closely involved with the Ravens. They say Don Larkin has done everything that Stevie Wise has, asked. and that's why Stevie Wise named him captain last year because he. Saw a little bit of Dylan Larkin in himself, where he kind of he came into a bad situation where he, you know, he was asked to do a lot of things that he really wasn't capable of doing, and he would cost the team. You know, I mean, it's good to put it's good to put up points and all that stuff, but if you aren't playing defense, you're not playing winning hockey, and that's the thing that Stevie O'Reilly it told uh, Dylan Larkin: you got to play two way hockey, and you got to yeah. be the team leader, and if you want to be the captain of the Red Wings. You look down the line, and you look at that line of captains that they had at the at the the, the season opener, where all the captains were sprawled out, and there was not one captain that you were go, yeah, that guy was a bomb, like none of them. You, you looked at a, a line of captains were Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer, Hall right, of Famer. Right, You don't wear the they weren't even marginal players. Right, you don't right. Wear, you don't wear the C in Detroit, being an average player. That's right. That's right. So and, and if you're picked by the captain, yeah, the captain, and there's only one. If you're picked by the captain to be the captain, right? I got to think that you made the right Stevie Y made the right choice because out of everyone who is a captain, if Tom Brady names a captain, you're like okay, <laughs> okay, take his word for it. He knows what he's talking. He might about. know his stuff in right. this regard. Yeah. If, if Stevie Y names a captain, you're like okay, 
Look, everything I say is moot point because Stevie Y made him the captain. That's right, and that's funny because you know, my friend, our friend of the show, my friend Darren McCarty, said uh, one time he's like, you know, what's the right answer? Because Stevie said so. Because Whatever. Everything Stevie says, you. It's you, because Stevie said so. He's earned carte blanche. Everything right. Stevie yeah. Y does is it, it, like he's the only GM in this town like, where he could do something that like I don't get. I'd be like, okay, Steve. Yeah, I don't get it, but well, a little bit out there, but I'm trusting you. Here. Well, here's the thing, Steve. Here, I believe that what you've seen is that the these key players on the Detroit Red Wings today, um, the key leaders, the team leaders, Bertuzzi, Larkin, uh, you know, even some of these young guys who are coming up, but you're seeing. They are now reliable, reliability and bankability, just like Stevie Y. And uh, you know, I like I like Bert. You know, Bert's snappy. I love Bert. I, I mean, he's, I love his style of play. I know a lot of other people out there like it too. You know, but but it wasn't. You know, you couldn't say Bert was you know super reliable. I mean, but he's really upped his game too. I mean, let's not under let's not under value the tremendous strides Bertuzzi has made this year. He really is coming off that injury and then just really just um, doing so incredibly well. He's really upped his game. Uh, Dylan Larkin has become a, you know, the leader they need him to be. I think Stevie sees it all coming together. And as they come into the you know, this next stretch of, as you pointed out, games that are on the West coast, they've got a couple of opportunities there. You know, Anaheim's going to be a tough game for them. Um, but you know, I think they're you're pretty much evenly matched against the LA Kings. That's going to be another game. I think they've got an opportunity to pick up a win there. Uh, they've showed that they can beat San Jose. Uh, let I don't know if they're going to be able to beat San Jose on their own ice, but you know, uh, another opportunity to have a matchup with them. Uh, you know, and then of course, then they're coming in. They're they're picking up with uh, a game against Winnipeg and at home when they come back. And I think there's an opportunity for a win there. So I, I think out of the next four or five games, and then of course they play Buffalo yeah on the 15th of January. So Looking at those five games, I think there's a really good chance that the Wings could pick up three out three wins out out of those five games. So pick up, uh, you know, what maybe six six points or so. I think would be you know something that's really realistic, and that could put them right up in there into that wild card race. They slipped out a little bit, yeah. but they're only a point behind, and I think that they could pick up six points, maybe more. And uh, listen, I think the rubbings are in, they're trending in the right direction. That's what obviously we think, and. Listen, they they have a tough road trip, but I think the guys are going to come out and play their best hockey because, listen, I don't really think that the Boston game left a good taste in their mouth. And uh, you look at the Rebens and, and the way that Nadalkovich has been playing, I would not be surprised. And this is a little bit of a, a tasty rumor. Tasty? That is being tossed in the NHL right now that there is a chance that the Rebens could to trade for Thomas Grice because they think they, they they have a they have a backup goaltender in Grand Rapids that they think that can back up Ned. Caden Fulcher? I wouldn't say that. Okay. Um, but, I'm, the only reason I'm saying that is because you know they they, they did uh, reassign him to the taxi squad. Yeah, he, he could be the one. But um what I think is they really want to get another defenseman in here. And I think that Thomas Grice you pull a goalie for a defenseman. Usually those are trades that uh, general managers will make because goalies and defensemen are hot commodities, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, Thomas Grice has played good hockey, but obviously Nadalkovich has earned the role as a starter. Yeah. And Grice is a free agent after this year. So if you can get, let's say, let's say you make a trade with like a, 
uh, a team that's out of it, like a, I don't know who's out of it, but if you make a trade and get a good defenseman in uh, in trades with the, the, the Thomas Grice, that can make a big impact towards the end of the year when they go towards the playoffs. Sure, and they're going to need that. They're going to need to shore up their defense. I mean, they obviously, you know, Mo Sider can't do it all, but then, you know, who else is stepping up pretty well is Danny DeKaiser. I think Danny DeKaiser is doing um, better than anticipated. Well, I really expected him to just roll it's, downhill it's, this it's season. The, it's the other thing that people just they, they, people got to calm down. They take things way too seriously. Like when you look at Danny DeKaiser and you looked at the past years, you go, "He's been a bad player, right?" But what defenseman coming in here as a young defenseman is? It's like the Dylan Market thing. He has to. He's asked to do too much. He's not asked to do his job. And when you when you get some talented players, like I said, around him, you get the talented players around uh, on the team, it shores up what they have to do. They're not they don't have to be the savior or be the best player. They they just have to make the right plays. Well, you know, and another thing that I found interesting, there's a couple other players that got reassigned to the taxi squad uh, here today or yesterday, and, and one of those is Luke Witkowski. And I think that's another one you want to watch. I think Luke's been a very valuable part of the organization and developing these players because he's a, he's got that veteran presence mm-hmm. and I think he has a lot to offer. He's he a plays customer. a physical game. Right. And so, uh, but I thought that was, you know, interesting. And then Riley Barber too. So, um, you know, th- these are three guys who were reassigned to the taxi squad. And I think that says something too about the direction of where they're going and uh, where the, what they think they're going to need here in this next five games coming up. Yep. Um so you will we'll be interested to see how that goes, but I think this could be a good opportunity. I really do think, by the way, that these next five games, given the variety of the the uh, competition they're going to be facing, some at home, some on the road, uh, this will tell the tale. I think this could be a, a turning point for the Red Wings. It would be a tremendous boost to the pre-Varana return that could put them in a very good position and get them to build some solid momentum rolling into the second half of the season. I'm going to make a claim. Are you going to make another bold prediction? Yeah, because I've been, th- I've been thinking about this. Everyone is hating on Philip Zadina right now. But I will make a claim. When Verona goes to the second line, because they're not breaking up Raymond and Bertuzzi. No, nope, they're not going to touch it. When, Raymond, when Verona goes to the second line, mm-hmm. watch Zadina take... The f off, because you, because you, why do you say this though? Because you had two offensive guys who are creative, and then you create a guy like Verano who likes he, he he likes to be a playmaker. He likes to shoot. Zidina likes to shoot. They're just going to be shooting pucks at the net like crazy. Is what that line that second line needs is they need another uh, guy who can score. And that is, you can tell with the Zadina and Suter, and they try, they try too hard sometimes. Now Suter gets a puck in net, but you, at, you when you package Zadina, you package Verana, and you package Suter up together. Now you're asking them to play a little bit of a different game. You're not asked to do. Now you got three people to defend, not two. And now you're cooking with peanut oil because now the defense can't. The defense that is playing you, they can't lean in and they can't take away uh, Zanina. They can't take away Sphere because a lot of teams are using that defense. They know when you get to the second line, let's get it, let's get two bodies on Suter, let's get two bodies on Zadina, and then we have two bodies for the defenseman. And there's not many places that they can go because we're kind of janking it up. 
the best teams have two lines that can roll, and Verona puts uh, he makes that second line click. Yeah, I think he's gonna. I think there's an argument there. I think I, I think he could be onto something really that he could be a catalyst, and uh, for that to ignite the second line. You got you got yeah. you got to. My opinion, you got to have three guys on the first line, three guys on the second line that can do different things that they're asked to, and then it opens up the game for the whole team because then you're then. You, now they can't focus, the, the defense can't focus on uh, the offense or whatever. And speaking of different things and guys who can do different things and how important that is, just want to point out one more time, because, you know, I got to point out how, you know, you were a little wrong. Uh, I'm, again, right. Look at Nemetsnikov. I told you Nemetsnikov was going to be, this is going to be a breakout year for him. Look at this. He's excelling in every area, and he's getting physical. Mm-hmm. The guy can show he can play physical as well as be, is playing Finesse, and that I'm telling you, he is a Renaissance man when it comes to the ability of what he can do, the variety of what he can do, and he does it all well. Or you know, and that again, another magical piece of the puzzle. He's almost like a universal blood donor. You can put him anywhere, and he'll give you what you need to stay alive. And I just did not want this segment to end without pointing out Nemetsnikov. Keep watching that player. He's been very, very good, and you will not hear better insight on the Detroit Rebbings than between the whistles. Like all the insight that you get. And thank you to our sponsor, Wild Bills. And that's right, Wild Bills Tobacco. I'll tell you what, they those guys just keep growing. Talk about doing everything right. Yep. Wild Bills does everything right. They'll do everything right for you if you enjoy tobacco products. I can't recommend them enough. And uh, you know, I'm I'm not a smoker myself, but I know Joe enjoys his tobacco mm-hmm. and uh, he's chewing it right now as we speak. Yeah, it's been and... a long day. <laughs> it's been a long it's day. It's been a long. It's been a long episode, and we have had a great episode. Yeah, we so have. It's time to close it out. Close the ash, and <laughs> we'll be on to next week. Look forward to seeing you then. We'll recap the Lions season and what the travesty that was. And uh, more. Always more to see. Always more. We will see you next week. See you then.